welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. Isham invites you to log on, listen, and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome to the Process This Podcast. This is episode number 53. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, We are in the middle of the season, the holiday season. And it feels like just yesterday, Thanksgiving Day, I was watching those stinking Raiders beat up on my Cowboys. Well, it got me thinking that this year is slipping away. But before it slips away, before it's gone, I just wanted to say from the board of directors, the Isham office staff, the educational team, and myself, that we wish you and your family a happy holiday. We know you work hard and tirelessly, giving patients the best possible care. So we thank you for who you are and what you do every day. So have a happy holiday and have a happy new year. So I have some news for you today. The call for presentations recently went out. So we are excited to welcome you to San Antonio, Texas for the 2022 Annual Conference and Expo. Now the conference will provide a mix of educational workshops and presentations to showcase new ideas and methods of process improvement within sterile processing. If you would like to share education and information that directly relates to the sterile processing community, and would like to educate your peers or have a compelling story that you think would benefit other professionals, then we're ready for your proposal. January 12, the presentations close. Submissions will no longer be accepted. So look for that email. Again, it was sent on 12-8. And if you are interested in submitting, submit your presentation today, and I will see you in San Antonio, Texas. Okay, so if you have been participating in the Step Weight Loss Contest, the Step Weight Loss Challenge, and you you know who you are, make sure you send me your final information this week. Several of you have been sending me your information regularly, so I appreciate that. I've been receiving that information. Thank you. All right, so full disclosure, I have been really sporadic with this contest, uh, kind of out of sorts since I introduced the contest. So a week or two after it launched, my family and I made the decision to move to a different state. So my steps are all over the place. Uh, Most of you guys have been great. Uh, I had, and here's a kind of an example. I had on one day, I logged only like 1500 steps, right? That's kind of pathetic. That's like walking to the refrigerator and back, right? So, but on another day, I logged over 30,000 steps. So it's been crazy. You know, it's been a really crazy two months for me. Uh, But you guys have been awesome, right? Guys and gals have been logging your information, sticking with it. So uh, proud of you guys. But don't forget, send me your final information this week so we can have those final numbers. Now, today on the show... We are going to look at a recent article of interest. Now, this was recently published in the AGIC Journal. 
All right, so let's kick it off with some music. Well, if you are not familiar with the AJIC, that's A-J-I-C, AJIC is the American Journal of Infection Control. Now, this is a peer-reviewed journal published by the Association for Professionals in Infection Control and Epidemiology, better known as APIC. Now, most of you out there probably don't subscribe to the AJIC journal, but there's a really good chance that your hospital infection preventionist does. So next time you see your hospital IP, ask them if they get the journal and is there anything in there that would be helpful for you. Now, if you are interested in reading this particular article in its entirety, then you're in luck. So if you receive the insights email from Isham, then you have access to this particular article. Now it can be found in the insights issue number 54 that was released on December 7th. Now the article is the second article in the insights and it goes into this study. Now when you're reading that from the insights, there's a link and the link reads, read the APIC press release here. It's a blue link, so press on that link. And when you press on that link, it goes to the press release. And then there's another link that's important. And the link is with the word data and it's in blue, right? So uh, click on that uh, link, that data link, and then it's gonna take you to the full article that we're gonna go over today. Now the article is titled, Droplet Dispersal in Decontamination Areas of Instrument Reprocessing Suites. And then credit for this article. So credit goes to Corey Ofsted, Christina Hopkins, Abigail Smart, and Marie Brewer. And the article calls uh, the research a pilot project. And this pilot project was supported by a research grant from Healthmark Industries. And some of the detection supplies that were used in the pilot research uh, was supplied by the Healthmark folks. Now, the highlights of this article are as follows. The pilot project was designed to assess splash risk associated with reprocessing. Manual cleaning generated droplets that traveled up to five feet from the sink. That's important. We'll talk about that later. Personal protective equipment did not prevent exposure to water or detergent. Now, you know, that should be important for everybody and everyone should be interested in that one because they're suggesting that the PPE may not be working as it's supposed to. And then more research is done. So this pilot project identified that there is more research needed to bolster the evidence uh, for the evidence base for guidelines. So uh, I'm going to, I usually don't do this. So I usually don't go in and read, you know, the entirety of the article and I'm not going to read everything, but I'm going to hit some highlights. And I'm going to read a majority of it. But again, go back yourself and through that insights and read this full article. It's very interesting. 
So the background, the potential for healthcare personnel exposure to splashes and airborne droplets in the course of patient care has long been recognized. Now there's a case study, and this case study is from 1974, and the report reads, an endoscopist who was exposed to a patient fluids that splashed out of a biopsy port of a gastroscope into the provider's eye. The, now the patient was infected with herpes and the, and the endoscopist developed a systematic herpes infection as a result of this exposure. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and stop right there. I'm gonna shut it down. I don't need any more data, right? So the article goes on and lists some other case reports. I don't need any other information. I don't need any other case reports. Herpes of the eye? Nope. I'm going to wear all the PPE you want me to. I'm going to triple eye protect if I need to. Herpes of the eye? Are you kidding me? Oh, that would be horrible. feel so sorry for that person. That is just miserable. Just talking about it makes me want to put on some eye protection. But if you need some more convincing, then you can read the other case reports in the article or history uh, behind this. But for me, I'm sold. I'm protecting my eyes. And I really suggest that you do the same. All right, continuing on. As we all know, uh, personnel working in sterile processing or endoscope reprocessing apartments are also at high risk for exposure to tissue, blood, patient fluids during decontamination of reusable medical instruments and equipment. Manual cleaning generally involves immersing instruments in water and detergent and scrubbing action, those brushing actions, flushing, suctioning, using power equipment like sprayers uh, to remove blood and tissue, patient secretions. You know, I think this article really makes a strong case after reading all those and you know, the herpes of the eye, a strong case for hazard duty pay for our sterile processing folks. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm on board. I support you guys. All right, continue on. The, the standards and guidelines recommend several practices that minimize reprocessing exposures to splashes, such as brushing and scrubbing instruments while they remain under the surface of the water or the cleaning solution, and the use of that personal protective equipment, including shoe covers, gowns, gloves, face mask, eye protection, and head coverings. Uh, in additional guidelines, there's recommendations of physical enclosures of decontamination areas, and specifically a minimum of three feet separation between decontamination areas and clean areas to prevent cross-contamination. So if you were ever wondering where they get that three feet of separation, where does that data come from? Well, here you go. They're going to provide that for us. So the origin of the three-foot separation recommendation was an outbreak investigation that involved a multi-resistant drug that infected 36 patients in Canada. 17 of those infected patients went on to die and with 12 deaths attributed to the actual infection. Investigators found contaminated sink drains in intensive care rooms. They utilized uh, fluorescent markers to evaluate the potential for droplet dispersion from sink drain areas to surrounding environments. And what they found was droplets traveled at least one meter away from the sink and then hypothesized 
that smaller droplets may have traveled further, but they're really too small to be seen. Although this investigation did not involve instrument reprocessing areas, the findings from this study, from this investigation, have been used to support recommendations that three feet separation between dirty, wet areas and clean, dry areas is sufficient. One guideline states that there is no evidence that contaminated droplets from reprocessing endoscopes can travel more than 39 inches or one meter. And then it speculates that microbes are unlikely to be disseminated any further by air because they are contained within the water droplets. So despite the high-risk nature of reprocessing activities, there's a lack of evidence on the topic. So a rigorous uh, search identified that there were no peer-reviewed journal articles describing the exposure of personnel to blood-borne pathogens or viruses during manual cleaning in endoscopic or sterile processing department areas. Really sounds like there uh, needs to be a whole lot more information or studies conducted you know like they suggest there, there is that possibility that you know these microbes can travel on these water droplets further than three feet and we're going to see uh, some more of their research that identifies that here later it goes on to say that likewise the effectiveness of protective measures for reprocessing personnel has not been systematically evaluated in real-world settings. So the purpose of this pilot project was to identify common reprocessing activities that generate splashes, determine how far droplets can travel in decontamination area, and access how wet PPE gets during routine activities in order to inform the design of future studies. So uh, in the materials and methods section, the pilot project was performed in two phases. The first phase was the feasibility of detecting splashes using fluorescent markers. So they used uh, glow germ here. The product was applied to a sink area drain and ultraviolet light was used to detect splash patterns running from the faucet for 15 seconds. Now this experiment confirmed that splashes could be detected visually. However, Researchers discovered that the fluorescent markers could not be easily removed from the sink or the drain area using disinfectant wipes or hot water and detergent, since the residual fluorescent markers would be undesirable in sinks used for cleaning medical instruments. Researchers ruled out the use of fluorescent markers for this pilot research. I will note that this article when you, if you read it in its entirety, it does have photos that are really good and really kind of goes along and explains. Uh, like you'll see the fluorescence, the fluorescent markers when they're running the water and the splashing of that. So uh, again, check out the article. It's really important. You'll see the images that will help explain some of the uh, research and the results that they got. So researchers then evaluated a chemical indicator paper designed to detect retained moisture in endoscopes. So they used this to determine whether it could detect splashes generated during manual cleaning. White splatter marks were clearly visible on blue card 
when it was exposed to water droplets generated by a running faucet and performing manual cleaning. So in the second phase of the pilot project, now this was performed in a sterile processing department of a large urban hospital. The project team included epidemiologists, the SPD manager, and certified sterile processing personnel. Now during the second phase, duct tape and zip ties were used to affix large sheets of droplet detection paper to environmental surfaces. And they did this to assess droplet dispersion. Now SPD personnel performed several routine cleaning activities in a work area that was thoroughly cleaned, terminally disinfected, and dried using non-lenting wipes before initiating the pilot activities. Now some of the tasks included filling an empty sink, gently placing a ureteroscope into the water, gently dropping the ureteroscope into the water, brushing a lumen while the ureteroscope remained under the water surface, brushing a lumen while the ureteroscope was suspended above the water surface, like I see a lot of people out there doing, drying their ureteroscope with an air gun, using a power sprayer to rinse a stainless steel basin, and using sonication systems incorporated within the multi-basin sink. So at the conclusion of each simulated task, whenever visible droplets were observed, surfaces were redried using non-lenting wipes, and new PPE was donned before affixing new droplet detection paper. To minimize the need for PPE changes, activities anticipated to generate the least amount of splashes were performed first. So kind of their procedures, uh, meaning gently placing a ureteroscope in the water as opposed to dropping it in the water. Sterilized instruments and single-use supplies were used to minimize exposure. During the pilot, task researchers wore uh, assorted single-use PPE, including hair covers, drop-down face shields, face masks, impermeable gowns, extended cuff gloves, under-exam gloves, double-gloved, and shoe covers. Uh, droplet generation was documented using photographs, videos, and observed by researchers. The, the endpoint were the generation of visible droplets the distance of visible droplets dispersed and PPE exposure to the droplets. So, you know, they had the detection paper, moisture detection paper everywhere on the PPE, you know, everywhere you could think of. And again, you'll see that in the photos. So let's move on to the results of the pilot. Visible droplets were generated during every tested reprocessing activity, except running the sonication sink. An array of droplets of different sizes appeared on the indicator paper at each distance measured from small individual droplets to large droplets and continuous splattered patterns. Using a power sprayer generated the most splash. Substantial splatters were visible around the sink and up to 5 feet 1.52 meters away on vertical surfaces and the floor after rinsing a stainless steel basin. You know, that's interesting because again, if we go back to that Canada study, right, the findings there said three feet and we're good, right? So maybe the three foot rule needs to be reevaluated. And I think we have uh, some information here that suggests that. So maybe we'll see 
uh, a study performed to actually evaluate specifically the distance of those droplets. So extensive droplets were generated while using the power sprayer and droplets were visible on the face shield, gown, shoe covers, and on blue paper affixed to the chin and neck area of the face shield. The single-use hair cover did not remain in place during reprocessing activities, uh, which potentially exposed the technician's hair or personnel's hair. Now this article uh, has several photos, again, that show the placement of everything I just talked about, so please look at that. Uh, filling an empty sink also generated droplets detected at various heights and distances from the sink. Gently placing a ureteroscope in the sink generated those fewer droplets, which makes sense. However, droplets were visible on horizontal and vertical surfaces near the sink and on PPE, no matter how carefully the instrument was placed in the water. The use of an air gun to dry the ureteroscope dispersed droplets visible on vertical surfaces near the sink and again PPE. Now the activities of brushing and scrubbing a ureteroscope held above the surface of the water generated much more droplets than the same activities performed when the ureteroscope was held underneath the water or the surface of the water. And that makes sense and that's why you know that we, we teach that way. Researchers also observed that extended cuff gloves were not long enough to prevent cleaning solution from entering over the top of the glove when manually cleaning an endoscope under the surface of the cleaning solution. Now this phenomenon was more pronounced when the gloves were too large to fit snugly. Substantial moisture was observed on the gray exam glove worn inside the purple extended cuff glove and strips of droplet detection paper affixed inside the gloves turned white, which indicated a major fluid intrusion. Now the gown's cloth wristbands, intentionally worn outside of the exam glove in one experiment, was also soaked by cleaning solution that flowed over the top of the extended cuff glove. Now when researchers removed the hands from the sink, the fluid inside the glove ran along the arm inside the gown. Upon doffing the glove and gown, it became evident that the scrubs were also wet where water had run down the researcher's arm, along their trunk, and down their leg. Now, I'm not saying that, and this is my opinion, I'm not saying that this doesn't happen. You know, water or cleaning solution infiltrating the gloves or going under that protective gown. But in the images, you know, the photo shows what appears to be the use of two sets of exam gloves, right? And they, they say that in the materials. I would suggest that in this situation, the proper gloves are not being used, right? You know, you shouldn't really use exam gloves for cleaning instrumentation. But, you know, I will concede that the overall theme that PPE should fit appropriately and that it should fit everyone involved in decontamination activities is absolutely a concern. You know, one size does not necessarily fit all. There should be a variety of sizes, variety of lengths of gloves available with the appropriate thickness for those tasks being uh, completed. So 
Uh, moving on in the discussion portion of the article, the COVID-19 pandemic raised awareness of risk associated with aerosol generating procedures and the CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, recommended several strategies for reducing the risk of health care personnel exposure. Now, some of these uh, risks include administrative and engineering controls and the use of PPE. Now, these guidelines stated that respiratory and eye protection should be used by the healthcare uh, personnel who may be exposed to aerosolation. They specified that fluid resistant surgical N95 respirators should be worn by healthcare personnel who need protection from both fluid and airborne hazards. Although sterile processing activities and endoscope personnel are at high risk for exposure to fluid and aerosols, they generally wear regular face masks and drop down face shields or a face mask with a pop-up face shield, not the N95 respirator. So if you remember, there were no recommendations from the CDC for sterile processing folks to wear those N95 respirators. During this pilot project, splashes and droplets dispersed were documented with all evaluated processing activities, meaning filling the thing, dropping the reader scope into the water, brushing, flushing, all the activities, uh, with the exception of using the sonication sink. So counters, walls near the sinks, the floors got wet, visible droplets traveled at least three feet when filling the sink, brushing and scrubbing, ureteroscope uh, and using power sprayer. So all those activities resulted in dispersed of those droplets up to five feet away from the sink. You know, although the size of the droplets was not measured, an array of droplets of different sizes appeared on the detection paper for every activity. The appearance of both large and small droplets raised the possibility that even smaller droplets were generated but were too small to be detected by some methods used. Now, studies have found that larger droplets fall rapidly while smaller droplets, you know, aerosols, travel farther and remain in the air for longer periods of time. So this pilot did not attempt to determine whether manual cleaning is aerosol generating. Multiple PPE components got splashed during every activity except the sonication Currently recommended face and eye protection did not prevent exposure even when properly donned and doffed. So despite wearing a face mask, a drop down face shield, droplets were observed on the paper affixed to the face, to the mask and the chin in those areas. This is concerning because currently fluid resistant mask are not required and personnel are not currently urged to wash their face and their necks after donning contaminated PPE. Multiple droplets were detected on the foot and shin areas which suggest that tall boot covers are essential for personnel working in decontamination areas. Now I know a lot of folks uh, don't regularly wear fluid resistant shoe or boot covers I think that this pilot exam should give you cause for concern if this is not a regular practice at your facility. Now the front of the arms of the gowns were saturated with water within a few seconds 
after initiating manual cleaning, highlighting the importance of liquid impermeable gowns. This pilot also confirmed that sterile processing technicians' assertion that double gloving was essential to prevent hand and arm exposure to cleaning solution and rinse water. Researchers found that the most effective way to prevent hand and arm skin exposure was to don an exam glove then don a gown with a thumb hook, not with a cloth wrist cuff, followed by an extended cuff glove pulled as high as possible over the sleeve. So the conclusions of the article, this pilot project found that routine processing activities generated substantial splashing with droplet dispersal of five feet from the decontamination sink. Currently recommended PPE did not adequately protect sterile processing personnel from exposures to clean water and cleaning solutions during simulated activities which would be presumed to be highly contaminated during normal daily activities. In the context of PPE shortages like those seen during COVID-19, reprocessing personnel should be prioritized with regards to high-quality, well-fitting PPE and training on using and doffing to protect them against splash exposure. In addition, manufacturers should be encouraged to develop engineering solutions that reduce the risk of personnel exposure and cross-contamination, including barrier systems, automated processes, or methods whenever possible, as recommended by the World Health Organization. Our experiments documented the generation of droplets when IFUs and guidelines were followed. Given these findings, more research is needed to support the development of evidence-based guidelines and instructions for safely reprocessing medical instruments. So here we have a great article. You know, we can always use articles like these to support sterile processing, making uh, the workplace, and in this case, the decontamination area, a safer place for professionals that work there every day. Great article. I encourage you to go check it out and see how you can apply the information in this pilot project to your sterile processing department. All right. Well, that music means only one thing, that we are out of time for today. Thank you guys for sticking with me. Thank you for listening to this important research information being done in sterile processing to help us in our profession. SP Nation episode 53 is in the books. Thanks for listening to the show. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, fill out the required information, and select the code San Antonio 2022. Again, the code for this episode is San Antonio 2022. Remember, keep an ear out for the next episode always on the 1st and 15th of every month. Each episode's on demand, so when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. Have a happy holiday, have a happy new year, and as always, stay classy, and we'll see you next time.